Welcome back to the Review the Name podcast. We uh, took off last week due to technical difficulties and scheduling problems, but we're back here and we're actually going to try something new this week. This is the first of what may be a recurring feature. We're calling it the Happy Hour podcast. We're going to do all games, all talking about the news, a little bit more freeform, uh, a little bit more shooting the shit, which is something we do on this a lot anyway. So it may not seem that different to you, but we're also going to be opening the floodgates to allow anyone who's participating to be drinking while we're doing this. So if you're listening, you want to join us, crack open a beer, pour yourself a glass of something or other, and sit back and enjoy the ride with us. With me today, we've got Chris. Hey, how's it going? Sam. Hello. And Alex. Good, whenever you're listening to this. <laughs> so um, I know I've got a drink on hand. Uh, I hope at least most of the rest of you do as well. And with that, why don't we get this happy hour started, tossing things over to Chris for a little bit of who would win in a fight? Okay, so we played this game once before. It's pretty simple. I'm going to throw out two characters from pop culture, and you're going to decide who would win in a fight. Uh, some of the fights will have um, qualifications of what kind of fight it is, but for the most part, this is just a free-for-all. So let's kick things off with uh, the Kung Fu Panda Crew versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Who wins in a uh, fight? This marks the second time in two podcasts we've talked about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but let's get it on. All right, so let's uh, let's kick it over to Alex to start with. Kung Fu Panda and his posse versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm going to have to go with the Turtles, mostly just because of the nostalgia factor that I have, but also because they seem to be more in tune with one another, whereas everyone else in the Kung Fu Panda circle seems to just pick up Poe's slack where he accidentally wins something. So, I think that would be more of a detriment to them in this case. Okay, fair enough. That's one vote for the Kung Fu Panda. Let's kick it over to Sam. No, 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 no. Oh, no. For Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Chris is not listening. It Chris is a happy hour. Chris is already really drunk. <laughs> um, well, all right, well, I have a question first. I want to know, where is this fight being held? Is this Is this in the sewers? Is this in... Japan is this? Where is um, this? I was assuming a nondescript dojo. Is it in the sewers of Japan or China? The dojo from the Matrix. Sure, that works for me. It's being held. Ooh, that's like kind of like Matrix. a. It's a nice neutral environment. Nobody gets the home team advantage, home field advantage. Exactly. Um, well, I haven't seen any of the Kung Fu Panda films, but does do any of them like brandish weapons like they do in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I don't remember, to be honest with you. I don't think so. Jordan? I don't. Yeah. I believe. I believe they are strictly kung fu based. Each of them has their own style based on the type of animal they are. I saw Kung Fu Panda on a plane, so this could all be completely made up. But well, I think they did not use weapons, whereas the turtles do. Well, I think it's kind of like a push when it comes to just like pure training, because you know, I guess the Kung Fu Panda crew has been trained by like a wise whatever, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have uh, what's his face, the rat Splinter. 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 Master Splinter. Does Splinter get to be in a fight? Yeah, no. Yeah, they can have Splinter, because oh. I think they're outnumbered otherwise. Nuh-uh. Or, um, yes, yes they are. But if their master gets to be in the fight, doesn't Kung Fu Panda's master, Shifu, get to be in the fight? Wouldn't that make sense? Alright. <laughs> I'll go back on this. Splinter is not allowed in the fight, but the Turtles can have Casey Jones. Nice. Ooh. He's got a hockey stick. Boy. And, uh, <laughs> and attitude. I still think I'd pick the turtles because there's that one turtle with those two swords, even though he's never ever cut anyone in his entire life with those swords. That is some uh, talented kung fu right there that he cannot he can use the swords without cutting anybody. 
I don't know. Does he just like hit people with like the base of the sword? I don't even know what the point of having them is. He hits them with yeah. the But side. for that reason, they're turtles in a half shell, and they have turtle power. So I'm going with Ninja Turtles as well. All right, Jordan. I think this is uh, a walk-off for the Ninja Turtles. A, as Sam just pointed out, they've got shells, so they've got some shielding that the other animals aren't going to have. And I'm assuming that if they're in the Matrix Dojo and this is all happening in their minds anyway, they're going to go ahead and feel free to use their weapons, in which case it's going to be a slaughter. Um, if, if we disarmed the turtles, since they have more weapons training, I believe, I think I might give the edge to the pandas. But presuming that they have their turtle weapons and that Casey Jones has his hockey stick, um, I think I'm going to have to give it to the turtles in the landslide. All right, I'm going to be the sole voter for the Kung Fu Panda crew on this one, unfortunately. It's three to one for Turtles versus Panda. And my reason being that two members of the Kung Fu Panda crew are portrayed by Angelina Jolie and Lucy Liu, and that the Turtles are, by their title, teenagers. So I think that gives the Panda crew the advantage in this situation. You think Lucy Liu and Angelina Jolie are going to seduce them? Is that the yes? That even getting? in tiger, tiger and snake form, I still think that they will manage to seduce the teenage mutant Ninja Turtles, and the rest of the crew can do whatever from there. Well, that's an element I didn't take into account. So, well played. That's why I host the game, Jordan. <laughs> All right, so the Ninja Turtles take that round by a landslide. Moving on. Um, All right, how about we go? All right, let's go medieval for a little bit, and let's say Ned Stark versus Boromir. All right, mm. who's who are we starting off with? Um, not me. Let's start with Jordan. Okay, Ned Stark versus Boromir. Um, well, this is tough. Uh, I'm gonna go with Boromir for two reasons. One. Ned Stark's got a lot of honor, but that also means he's not willing to fight quite as dirty as I think Boromir might. Um, and two, look at how many arrows Boromir can take before he goes down. That is a tough <laughs> man to kill. I think I think he's going to win this fight. That is very true. Uh, Sam? Um, I think this is a, a trick question. The answer is they both lose because they're both played by Sean Bean and they will die. Sam is correct. This fight so actually like, amounts to Sean Bean just It's like a Fight Club a Tyler Durden situation. Absolutely. It, it's like in Street Fighter where you'd punch each other at the same time and you'd both lose. Fair enough. That, I mean, it makes sense. Sean Bean can never be the last man standing. <laughs> That's a rule. He's always <laughs> the last man standing. He got stabbed with a knife at a bar. Real Sean Bean. He just went back in and kept drinking. Well, the question wasn't whether Sean Bean was in this fight, was it? That's what you brought it there. No, I'm saying these are characters played by Sean Bean. So the therefore, if die. Sean Bean died, Sean Bean would die? It's actually the Sean Bean paradox. It is uh, a scientific phenomenon. It has been documented. If Sean Bean died, Sean Bean would die. The fight would be entirely symmetrical, so they'd each throw a punch with their left hand at the same time and just punch mm-hmm. each other in the face? Is that what we're like the end of Like the end of Rocky... Two, one of the Rocky movies. Is it two that they both like? They freeze frame on them punching each other in the face. I think playfully. I've never seen any of the Rocky movies, so that's my confession for the day. Future, uh, future pop culture dare, perhaps we'll see. Watch all the Rocky movies in one sitting. (laughs) Yeah, you can't. You can't go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) You have to watch Rocky four two times in a row, though, to really absorb it. 
And you can you can skip Rocky Balboa because we're not sadists. Uh, I haven't seen Rocky Balboa or Rocky Five actually. I think I've started Rocky Five, but when I realized he wasn't even boxing in the movie, I kind of. What is the wait? Him. I haven't seen Rocky Five. What is the plot if he's not boxing? Yeah, uh, I think it's his, I believe it's his son. Like Rocky's told, like if he's punched like Aww. once in the head, his brain will explode and he'll die. So I think he becomes like a trainer, like he trains his son. I think to box, and it's like kind of about his son boxing. And well, Rocky's we all trainer. saw how that went. Of course, this is completely ignored in Rocky Balboa, where he returns to the ring as an old man fighting a, I believe, like, in his prime boxer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that is the plot of Rocky Balboa, which I have not seen, but I do know the plot of. <laughs> also, Adrian, magically. also, Adrian is dead in Rocky Balboa. I'm glad that we were able to have enough Rocky movies that Adrian is fucking dead. My God, how stupid. <laughs> Unfortunately, the joke will never die. Yeah. All right. So we have one vote for. We have one Boromir, vote for Boromir. One, one vote, vote for, for Sean Bean. Bean. <laughs> vote for Sean Bean. Alex, how do you how do you feel about all this? I'm going Ned Stark. I, there was a lot of Ned Stark's past that you didn't get to see, but I bet you he brutally murdered some people. Well, we know he's a good fighter. Yeah. I mean, he he helped in the rebellion. So I, the the thing is, is that the Game of Thrones like universe is just so much more brutal and unforgiving than the Lord of the Rings universe was ever put out to be. So I think that uh, Ned Stark, with his life and family and Winterfell on the line, would pull it through. I'm gonna have to agree with you, Alex. I'm also gonna go for Ned Stark just because Boromir has ring on the brain at this point, and I think that's gonna give. Ned Stark the edge in the overall fight. And they don't have the uh, medicine for ring on the brain back then, so... Yeah. Yeah, fortunately, I take that shit every day. <laughs> I am never getting ring on the brain myself. I don't know about you guys. I had it once, and it was terrible. Alright, well, you know, you, you both made compelling arguments. I'm sticking with Boromir, because I think he takes the arrows so well, but you made compelling arguments for Ned Stark, This I isn't think. a fucking arrow fight. <laughs> They well, ha- yeah, they both they, have they arrows. Have, you don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe they only have arrows. That was not made clear in the parameters. I, I actually will not make clear this time. Believe what you will. <laughs> they can have guns for all I care. <laughs> well, if there's fucking guns involved, I'll win that goddamn fight. It doesn't matter. <laughs> You're not in the fight, Sam. Sam pays, Sam pays no attention to the constructs of the rules of this game. I'm showing up. <laughs> Sam's like, who would win between Ned Stark and Boromir? Han Solo. <laughs> That is actually true as well, I believe. He would shoot first. He would shoot first, and he'd have his blaster, I presume. Um, Han Solo with, with a knife versus Ned Stark with a gun. Go. How far away are they? <laughs> oh, Han Solo. Ned Stark wouldn't know how to use a gun. He'd be That's like, exactly correct, Sam. That Ned is exactly Stark correct. would beat him with a gun. Ned Stark, Ned Stark would go, what is this, and would try to pistol with him, but Han Solo, Han's going to get in there with a the knife in a second. I actually think Han is going to be, he's going to run away, and he's going to like run through corridors. <laughs> just for like an hour or so and then tire yeah. him out and then stab him <laughs> screaming a whole lot as he goes yeah, yeah he actually screams the entire time it is a a feat of humanity he'd scream who looks scruffy looking and stab him in the throat nice <laughs> all right what's what's the next round for us chris all right so the winner of that round is ned stark okay so the next round is going to be bruce wayne versus tony stark but the fight is that they are both at a party, at a society event, and it's who can pick up the most chicks before the night is over. This is the greatest question I've ever been asked in my entire life. So wait, there is no, like, there's no actual fighting. It's more, this is like a contest, really. Yes, exactly. Mm. 
How are what's they, the they, parameters they of them being picked up? They can reveal their secret identities if they want to. They can? Yeah. Oh, that changes everything. Well, Tony Stark already revealed it, right? Or is yeah. this pre-end of Iron Man 1? Uh, all right, you know what? Let's say it's pre-end of Iron Man 1. Both both of them are suspected that there's like a double life. Well, they suspect Tony Stark is a double life, but it's where, where is uh, Bruce Wayne in his Dark Knight trilogy? Um, or any other Batman right continuity. after event of right after event of Batman begins. So this is both of them right mm. at the start of their superhero career at a party together. Uh, who, and they can is... also try and fuck each other over a little bit. All right. Can, the, they try, can they try to fuck they each other? Up? How do they pick them up? Is it just like they get a phone number? Are they like surrounded by them and leaving? Like. Um, plans to come back to their place for the after party afterwards. Let's say that, and they don't—they okay, so they don't know that this game is being played. Yes, but they also, couldn't be solicited by. Also, which which Batman and which Iron Man do we have here? Is this Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, or is this just Iron Man from the comics, or is this Adam West Batman? Is this Christian this is, Bale Batman? This is Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man versus Christian Bale Batman. Ooh, Audible okay. that it's Adam West Batman versus Christian Bale Batman. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's for a later day. <laughs> um, Adam so West would win. Who's starting us off, by the way? Um, Sam, go ahead. Yeah. So um, well, if it is if it is Christian Bale Batman versus Robert Downey Jr. Batman, I would have Iron to get. I'd see that. I, 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 or sorry, Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man. Uh, I would have to give it to Iron Man, but. If it was the character of Batman or the character of Bruce Wayne versus the character of Tony Stark, just in general, I would give it to Batman. Because really, what is Tony Stark but a ripoff of Bruce Wayne? Valid points. Um, I am going to go ahead and jump in just to disagree with you. Um, And this is because Bruce Wayne, ladies' man mask. Bruce Wayne plays the part of the ladies' man. He plays it well. But he's not a ladies' man in and of himself. He's a, a brooding, vigilante badass. Tony Stark loves the ladies in real life. Tony Stark is always... He's trying to fight crime and get some on the side at the same time if he can. So I think... Uh, I actually had a conversation this week in which I, I mocked the idea of wanting it more for sporting events. But I think Tony Stark wants it more. And I think that's going to give him the edge here. I absolutely agree with you. I am also going to say Tony Stark just because end of the night batman doesn't go home with the super miles i don't think he really cares tony stark end of the night he goes home with super miles versus saving the world i think that's a real choice for him so i think tony yep. stark whoa, definitely whoa, whoa. has the edge hold here. on well if this is robert danny jr tony uh tony stark isn't he tied down with uh what's her fucking name money penny or whoever the fuck uh, not, not at the not at the end of iron man one they're just flirting at that point Actually, we're pre Iron Man one in the parameters of this. So you yeah, never said just... that this could be no, post no, I said, Avengers. I said we were we were we were end of Iron Man one right before he reveals Tony Stark. Oh, okay, got versus it. end of Batman Begins. Bruce Still, Wayne I think Batman. I think Tony Stark would feel guilty because the feelings are there for Money Penny. I think you feel guilty, and they just start drinking, and they'd be fine. Pepper yeah. Potts. Let's just throw that out there. Her name's Pepper Potts. <laughs> Money Penny. <laughs> yes, Money Penny's name is Pepper Potts. <laughs> Money Penny's name is Pepper Potts. I like that. She'll always be Money Penny to me. Pepper Potts, my fucking god, who was high when they wrote that character? That's, that's her heroine name. She's a she's a hero in herself. Her Alex, alter ego. You can uh, either tie us up or you can clinch this for Iron Man. Well, it's hard because both of their approaches are so different. Like Bruce Wayne takes the kind of subtle, laid back, relaxed, like 
and lets kind of lets the ladies come to him and his wealth. And Tony Stark's kind of aggressive, and he'll piss you off, but then charm you. But man, just to you know, I'm I'm just gonna go Bruce Wayne and tie it up and let everyone walk away happy. Very magnanimous with you. Very magnanimous. Uh, all right, so that's a tie between Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark. That was a good question, though, Chris. Thank you. Uh, do you want to do one more, or you guys want to move on? Let's do another. I like this. Okay. So I'm deciding. This is more of an open-ended kind of fight scenario, so I'm not really going to give you a lot of parameters. So when you say who would win, feel free to justify it any way you want. So this is... And this one can take place over a span of time. So it is the Ocean's Eleven crew versus Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan's character from characters from the Rush Hour trilogy. Wait, which which how, Ocean's how Eleven they? crew? The first, the the original Ocean's Eleven. The, like the I, Rat Pack? No, I I from the first the first uh, remake. Uh, George uh, Clooney. George Clooney. Oh, okay. Yeah, the remake one from the first movie is what versus I mean. Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan. Doing yeah, what? From the, the Rush Are they Hour fighting? <laughs> well, so we'll we'll put it this way: the the Ocean's Eleven crew is trying to pull off a heist, and Chris Tucker um, and Jackie Chan have been assigned to stopping them before or after or catching uh, them. Would they catch them? I'm gonna say no. They wouldn't catch them. I, I agree. think that I think that. Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker's character are much more susceptible to mistakes and have been shown to have comic foibles, while the Ocean's Eleven crew seem to be, like, a super well-oiled machine that, like, always gets it done. Also, the numbers, like, there's 11 of them. <laughs> and they have, they have, they have, like, they have a Chinese, they have a Chinese acrobat, for fuck's sake. So does, yeah, so does Chris here's, Tucker. Here's the thing, I, I have to side with Sam on this one. A, they got the numbers. B, like, if it's a flat-out fight, Jackie Chan's going to do well, but there are just so many of them uh, that I think he's going to get overpowered. And they have their own Asian, so... Yeah, and all Asians are they created just equal. just tie each other know, up. It's one of the, it's a, again, it's a law so of physics. What, what was his name? Um, <laughs> um, was the name honestly, the, his name is Asian Acrobat guy. <laughs> okay, so, so he cancels out Jackie Chan, and then it's just like 10 guys piling on Chris Tucker. Well, I just think like the like the think about like the intelligence difference between the like the two groups. I okay. think that like the Ocean's Eleven crew has like so many professionals in it. You know, forget about like the guys who are kind of just like specialty like explosives or like Carl Reiner or whatever. But yeah. just like all the guys who are like professional criminals, they have like a lot of those guys. And Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan, they just kind of like run into shit by accident and punch their way out of it. Chris Tucker just they... stumbles into success, like both in the movies and in his career. So it's kind of <laughs> like there's no way that he could just stumble into the Ocean's Eleven crew going to jail. He's also stumbled out of his career quite easily, it seems. Yeah, although uh, for Rush Hour Three, he was the highest paid actor in Hollywood that year. He, uh, I didn't it was a Rush Hour Three. Did, don't they go to Paris? Twenty-seven million dollars for it. Holy I am completely serious. serious. So, I mean, actually, Chris Tucker could probably drown the Ocean's Eleven crew in money. Not true. <laughs> think, about, 
Think about like the net worth though of like. Brad this is the character though, not Clooney. the actor. So this is his character from Rush Hour. 3. Well, then you can't. Right. Act Chris uh, no, I mean I'm still yeah. on the side of the Ocean's Eleven crew because they're smarter. Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan were entertaining, especially in the first Rush Hour movie, but they were never known for. I mean, they were fine detectives, but they were never known as geniuses. Where the Ocean's Eleven crew get shit done. Very true. Um, okay, so I think that wraps up with a unanimous win for the Ocean's Eleven crew for uh, who would win in a fight. So, All right. Cool. Ocean's Eleven takes the rush hour deal. Uh, now, is, now is the time... Yeah, fucking <laughs> <the> rush hour. <laughs> now is the time where we turn over to the nominees for the Rachel Tardiff Memorial Award for Best Performance in the Week. Uh, for this week, we're going to go ahead and talk these things through uh, as we do every week, and... As always, we will tabulate throughout the show. By the time we get our immensely complicated tabulation system done and announce who won the week, we'll let you know at the end of the show. So uh, some of the big stories this week. We're going to start off by talking about a victory for, I would say, America. Uh, It has been announced that the last season of Jersey Shore is about to air. Jersey Shore is canceled after this upcoming season. Uh, What do you guys guys think about that besides just yay? Uh, Let's start things off with Alex. I never liked Jersey Shore, so, I mean, this can only be good, right? I guess it depends on what they're going to... Sorry, I was getting... That's, that's allowed during the Happy Hour podcast. I, I, it's actually allowed during every podcast I guess that's encouraged I, right now. I guess it's uh, it, it all depends on what they're planning to replace it with, right? Like, what if it's something worse? Like that damn Honey Boo Boo Child show. Oh, that's TLC. They'll sink to lows that MTV will never sink to, at least not. TLC is actually just going to film a toilet full of shit for the next season of television. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to become the next, like, MTV. They're just going to become awful like that. And it's so sad. The Learning Channel. I learned a lot. I didn't want to learn anything I've learned watching that channel, but I've learned a lot. I mean, to be fair to to TLC, it hasn't been the Learning Channel for, like, 15 years. I mean, they've, they've run, like, shows about, like... Wedding, I've learned about weddings. Like I've learned about babies. Born. I've learned about hoarders. So, and, and they've been. Are in, they the been ones like, that do a hillbilly ham fishing? No, I think that might be like Animal Planet, right? Or Net, like Nat Geo. I think Nat Geographic should be more ashamed than TLC or MTV because National Geographic actually had standards, and now they're doing. Yeah, like, I was just going to say National Geographic has, has celebrity ghost shit. stories, which is one National of the Ge- greatest achievements in the televised medium. I don't know if you have any of you seen celebrity ghost stories. It is exactly what it sounds yeah. like, but let me let me give you this pitch. You have like B and C list celebrities like Greg Brady or Laura Preppen from that '70s show coming on the show. <laughs> Greg Brady, wait, no, no, Greg Brady just won the week for you calling him a C list celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> but these people who like you vaguely know or have heard of come on the show, tell stories of their quote unquote real hunting experiences while there are terrible reenactments playing. I watched this show while uh, drinking in my Vegas hotel room over spring break. Uh, while I was, it was sort of like the, the gearing up to to go out and do actual Vegas things. It is a it is a masterpiece of hilariously bad TV. So Nat Geo gets credit just for that. Well, I think Nat Geo actually has like standards in like educational television, opposed to MTV or TLC. The last so good think- thing Nat Geo was known for was having topless women, African women in their magazines. Like, well, I mean, educationally topless, right? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, I think I think that, uh, that silenced the crowd for a moment there. I was personally just taking a sip of uh, my liquor, but 
Um, so, yeah, I think it's pretty clear we're all pro the cancellation of Jersey Shore. Alex, you make a good point yeah. that things might get a lot I, worse, uh, though. I, will, I, okay, I mean, it looks only... like MTV's going in the other direction with bringing back uh, Beavis and Butthead and stuff, but I feel like that's kind of on the chopping block for them. I'm just, I'm scared. I'm scared of what MTV can do. Yeah, this wasn't, this wasn't like a positive move on the part of MTV. They had just wrung as much potential as they could out of these people. Uh, I, I actually was watching in the first or second season just because it was, it was just like a train wreck. You can't, like, there are certain train wrecks you just can't look away. I didn't want to look at it in the first place, so I never had the problem of not being able to look away. (laughs) I was like, oh, that dude's leg, it's mangled. Oh, never mind this. (laughs) I... The, the first couple seasons were just, it, it was worth watching for just to see what people would put on television, what they would call entertainment, and just the lows they would sing to. But uh, in subsequent seasons, um, it just became more and more and more staged. So this is an MTV moving in a more positive direction, and I think the ratings of the show were lagging anyway. But it's just, they had they had run this thing as into the ground as they possibly could, and so it's it's over, and as Alex fears, it's on to the next. On to the next awful caper. Thing. Um, all right, I think, I think we've said all we need to say about that. Let's move on to the next story we're going to talk about. Uh, Sean Ryan announced this week that he is considering doing a Terriers movie. Before we, before we get into the awesome that that will be, we have to point out, he said it's very unlikely, uh, but he said he's going to do it in a way that I think is interesting, I think is, uh, hopefully going to be a future avenue for all sorts of entertainers trying to get their unpopular cult projects accomplished. He wants to fund the movie via Kickstarter. So he's trying to convince, I believe it's Fox that has the rights to this. He's trying to convince them that if he can make the movie based solely on fan funding, they will make the money from it and not have to pay it out at all. So this is good for a variety of reasons, and I think it gives us a lot to talk about. On the one hand, more Terriers, which is fantastic, and we'd get a movie, which would be great. On the other hand, it could be a way forward for new avenues of interesting entertainment that might not get funded otherwise. What do you guys think about all this? Well, I was a huge fan of the show from the get-go. I loved Terriers. Uh, I was very sad to see its demise. Um, but more than, as you just said, like the prospect for more Terriers is just great news in general. I think this is a very exciting model because no matter what show it is, any show that was canceled before its time has a following out there that would love to see more episodes and would be willing to go above and beyond to get those more episodes. Imagine imagine fire, this happening with Firefly. Imagine Joss Whedon saying, hey, I want to make more Firefly. Would fans want to kick in some of their own money to make that happen? I think Kickstarter would crash. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have much like, disposable income at the moment being a, a poor law student, but I think Kickstarter is a place that when I do have disposable income... I'll be throwing a lot of it toward projects I think are interesting. I think it's a new way forward for um, entertainment that I want funded and can actually have a part in funding. I have already donated to, I think, five or six Kickstarters, only one of which was a movie. It was the Rise of Leslie Verner sequel, but um, that didn't pull through. But, I mean... Did you get your money back? Yeah, yeah, of course. It's not Indiegogo. I got my money back. The money isn't uh, paid in Kickstarter until the end of the 30 days or whatever they have. Oh, interesting. And if it reaches the goal. But um, Um, movies cost a lot of money. Like, you can't just rate, like, 
Kickstarter, I think, I want to say millions of dollars is a high, high thing for Kickstarter to get, even with, like, super popular things. And so it's just going to be really difficult to get enough money to actually make a movie that's not super low budget. I mean, I think I think that's true, but well, I also you gotta keep in mind this is the early days of Kickstarter, and if this if this sort of thing took off as a movement and as a as a as a thing that was more viable than it is currently, I'd say you may find more people kicking in, more people wanting to contribute. Kickstarter's in a dangerous place though, because a lot of these Kickstarters that got their funding and stuff, people aren't getting their watches or whatever they got. Uh, they threw their money at. They're just not getting the money or their item back from it. And the way Kickstarter works is it you're, you're donating to a potential, basically. So there's no guarantee that you're going to get anything out but of you, it. But as you said, you get so your money back if you don't get that, what you donated to, correct? No, 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 no. You don't, you, get your, you don't pay them if it doesn't reach the goal. If it reaches the goal, you pay them, and then they don't have to – They are not obligated to do a damn thing. Well, that see, that's problematic, I think. Yeah, yeah that's a problem with Kickstarter. So I'm, I'm just scared that the... Uh, Kickstarter is a great model for something like indie directors and stuff like that, but for big studio projects like this, that uh, I think that there's a, probably going to be a better way for that, uh, for the marketing. I think that it would... Uh, I think that Kickstarter might kind of lull back down to a small thing before it could really do anything. Because it's still... Um, you go out and ask Joe Schmo on the street, like, hey, what Kickstarter are you interested in right now? Like, people are going to say, what's well, yeah, Kickstarter? Well, yeah, I think we're clearly in the, in the infant phases of it, the nascent stages of what could develop. And it's one of those things where, you know, five years ago, six years ago, even probably a, a briefer amount of time ago, if, some, if you ask someone what Twitter was, no one would know. Um, and I'm not uh, equating Kickstarter to Twitter necessarily, but you never know what's going to take off and what's going to fail. So Kickstarter could cease to be a thing in the next six months, or it could be a giant phenomenal movement that really changes things. Well, I think Especially, something, something we haven't talked about with Kickstarter, um, probably the biggest deal that I've seen with Kickstarter has been... Uh, Charlie Kaufman's involvement, trying to make his like this animated feature with uh, Dan Harmon, Anomalisa, and I think like if that movie could, you know, get like like decent distribution if it ever gets made, you know, Charlie Kaufman's a big name to have associated with a website like Kickstarter, and if they they can actually get this movie done, I think it would be like you know. It would be a look what we can do. Look what Kickstarter can do. And I think like Charlie Kaufman's kind of like a perfect person. Yeah, I, person I think to, he's the ideal. And Dan, and Dan Harmon's like because I think him and Dan Harmon they both have the ability to I think make like really great art and not have it necessarily be a huge budget big Hollywood thing. I mean they're going to make this movie for you know I presume less and than a million also, dollars. Go ahead. Um, their goal on Kickstarter I just checked. The goal on Kickstarter was two hundred thousand dollars, and they've already gotten, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars more than that. And there's still a week to go left. So, you know, if if people like Charlie Kaufman, like really great minds, and Dan Harmon, like how could this not you, be construed as a good thing? And I I, I don't think these are guys who are going to just go like, eh, fuck it, we're not going to make this movie. I think they understand like they're not amateurs. I think a lot of people who are on Kickstarter are just kind of like like you know. They're not professional people. They're people trying to, like, get their small project done. But these guys are professionals, and I feel like 
it, when people see this movie, you know, hopefully it'll be good and it'll kind of justify. And I, I, I uh, also think that Charlie Hoffman and Dan Harmon are actually, like you said, the perfect people to do something like this because they're people who have a strong cult following that is probably going to donate to getting their movie done, as, as we've seen, clearly. If they've gotten $100,000 more than they even asked for. These are the type of people that the internet is going to throw money at to do more art and the type of people who are going to do things that will justify the money. And a bunch of these projects within a concerted amount of time, like if the Terriers thing happens... Like, this is another, it's a rapidly loyal group of fans who I know, I, I definitely believe, would also kick in money. And Terriers was not a high-budget show. Like, th- this would not be a bank-breaking expense to make a Terriers TV movie happen. And you get a couple projects like that happening, I think people are going to regain a little bit of this faith in Kickstarter that, Alex, you said might be waning right now because of these smaller names who are not delivering on the promises that are made. I think if you see a few of these types of projects where creators that have huge, very loyal fan followings support to keep doing the things they want to see and then are rewarded for it, I think you're going to see a renewed interest and faith in Kickstarter. Yeah, I agree. Go ahead, Alex. I mean, I mean... I guess my big um, big question there was with more physical products rather than making movies and stuff. So, I mean, that is a huge difference. But uh, there's a lot to, like, the back end of Kickstarter that you you don't think about. You say, oh, they just raised $300,000. A third of that goes to Amazon and Kickstarter. And then the, they have to split the money out for the different uh, tiers of rewards that they have. Because, like, if there's a, terror, a Terrier's Kickstarter, then... Okay, you get twenty. You donate twenty five dollars. You get a digital copy of the movie and a thanks in the credit. Why would you? What's the incentive to donate fifty to a hundred? I think the incentive. I think the incentive. You need is those incentives, and I think that's the main incentive. Yeah, but I if, think the, yeah, like no, gifts, no, but if you can donate twenty five and get the product, because I'm not interested in the kickback. They I think need, that's where you and I would differ. I uh, I haven't donated to Kickstarter yet, but if I'm donating, I'm not looking for. Uh, the watch that you mentioned earlier, or the the digital copy of the movie, or even like even you know the the giant donations that get credits in the movie. That's not why I would donate to a product or a project. I would donate to these things because I want to see the finished product. And if I donated to a movie and it got done, I feel good enough. But, if it's a good movie, my money is well spent. I don't need anything else. Yeah, I think this is a very different yeah, model. So then like you the would ones. donate like the, to the ten dollar see the movie part. But there well, is the $25 range where you get to see the movie and you get a t-shirt and you get this. Like, Kickstarter needs those incentives for these things to be I, I disagree. I think they can get to a point. Maybe, I mean, maybe that's true right now. I think they can get to a point where they're going to be able to say, you want to see the movie, give us, you know, whatever you can give us. And in the right scenario, because if I, you know, actually end up having a job when I graduate law school and I'm in a good financial place, I'm going to be giving, you know, a couple hundred dollars to a movie that I want to see done, or pro- hopefully even more than that eventually, I'm going to be giving a donation to a movie because I want to see it done, and I don't need anything in return. And if Kickstarter can sort of, I mean, still give incentives, I guess, if they need to, but if they can get to a point where they're not, the incentives aren't the point, which I think is the ideal, then you're going to get... It, it, the incentives well, have think, to be the point. I think and the incentives I will... would wish that the majority would say, you know what, I want to see this movie, and therefore I'm going to give them $500, rather, even though they're only asking for 10 I wish the majority of people thought like that. But I, 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 Chris, go ahead. You're trying to break in here. 
I think they will think like that. I think they will think like... I think they, you're going to see... If this becomes a success, I think you will see two different models through Kickstarter. I think the incentives for the different tiers will still matter for the creators who are up and coming, for the people we don't know too much about or the people who are trying to break in and do side projects. For established deliverers like Dan Harmon or like Sean Ryan with Terriers, I think it's going to come down to how much would you want to see the show come back. And I think you're going to give based on how much you like the show and how much you're able to give. And the incentives aren't really going to make much of a difference in there. I will give if like the only option is here, $10 or more, and you get a digital download, or $25, and we'll send you a Blu-ray of it. I'm going to give the money for the Blu-ray because I want the Blu-ray. But right, if like, the only thing is ten dollars well, for digital, I mean, then if you're, I'm only see, that's give the thing. 10. If you're only giving for the incentives, me, I don't know if you're the ideal Kickstarter contributor. Let me let me put it to you this way, Alex. If I this am were the Firefly, only person here who's contributed. Oh to no, Kickstarter, you're, you're not wrong. But I mean, the the way that I view this platonically. No, I I've, I've oh, contributed. Chris has as well. Um, but <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm. let me put it to you this way: If this were Firefly, and there there were no questions of incentive, if Joss Whedon just sent out an email and said. I want to make a sequel to Serenity. Will you send me money to help me do this? Would you need an incentive to donate as much as you possibly could? Or would you just like look at what you were able to donate and donate the maximum of that to make that happen? I would want to see the incentives. I would want to say, can I get a signed Blu-ray copy of hey, this? I, I mean, okay. I, I definitely, yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from. If Joss Whedon, if Joss Whedon started a Kickstarter right now, I, uh, I would probably be giving my student loans to the Kickstarter uh, for no kickback. You know, I, I think I think I would say, like, this is the amount of money I can give without having to take a hit on how I live my life. Because I, um, I'm i a huge Whedon fan, and I think that Firefly had the potential to be the greatest Whedon TV show. And I, uh, you know, if I have passions in my life, one of my biggest passions, if not my biggest, is various pop culture avenues... And if I can give to one of my favorite pop culture creators and see one of my favorite products be brought back to life, that to me is the incentive. Yeah, and I mean it's a great uh, it's a great thing about Kickstarter that that avenue exists. But it to, for me, it's also a way to get these things that I wouldn't be able to get a hold of, like signed copies of scripts and stuff like that. If I wanted to donate that much, it's because uh, I. I like physical products like that. I like having signed copies of rare books from my favorite authors. Sure, absolutely. And and as a collector, I think Kickstarter gives you an opportunity to collect things like that that you might not otherwise get. I don't want to underemphasize that. I think you're absolutely right about the importance of that. But I think that there's another side to it uh, where the right project is going to give incentive in and of itself. Well, any project's just giving the incentive because it's a project that you want to see through. That's, You're not going to just donate to something because you could get that's a true. DVD. Um, yeah, no, I think I think I think that if we're doing a takeaway from our discussion of Kickstarter, I would say the takeaway is it's got a lot of potential, and I I'm definitely in the wait and see how it turns out camp. But I think this could be an amazing new way to fund projects that might otherwise not get made. Absolutely. Good talk, guys. Good talk. Anything more to say on this? Yeah, I think, I, I, think, think I think we've looked at a lot of different angles of it, and I think, uh, I think Kickstarter is something we'll probably revisit on the podcast because I think it's going to be interesting to see how it develops. 
another one of the big stories we want to talk about this week is the, uh, I'm calling it in the most British possible way, the Benedict Cumberbatch kerfluffle. Um, <laughs> and, and I think the reason this is such an interesting story is, it, for those of you who are not familiar, there's a new show on CBS coming out later this, this year, which hopefully we'll be reviewing on the actual website portion for you to named, over I at reviewbenamed.com. Um, it's, it's called Elementary. It is a, a... Basically, what happened is CBS tried to buy the rights to Sherlock, the BBC show that is an incredible realization of the Sherlock Holmes novels on the small screen. Sherlock said, no thank you. So CBS did what it could made its own Sherlock Holmes show that has nothing to do with it. Got Lucy Liu. Yeah, they got Liu. Lucy Liu as Watson. Johnny Lee Miller is playing Sherlock. This week, Benedict Cumberbatch was asked what he thought of the show, and he gave, I think, a legitimately honest answer, and then a second answer that cleared things up and was, I think, very dignified, which, coming from most British person alive, Benedict Cumberbatch, that's not surprising. He first said, you know, I don't know how I feel about having another Sherlock show. I don't know that... I think it's being done for the right reasons, and um, I kind of wish that Johnny Lee Miller, who's a personal friend of his, wouldn't be playing this iconic role at the same time as me, and I kind of wish that the show wasn't going to go the way it seems to be going. Um, he then you know, said that that comment had been taken slightly out of context, and he explained, he said, Sherlock Holmes is a, a character who's been around for 100, you know, 100 plus years at this point. He's been played by over 70 people. I think there's room for more than one Sherlock. I think they're going to do something interesting with it. If they don't, there's still our Sherlock, so there's not really any loss. And I think he made good points in both instances of his commentary, and he came off like a good-looking guy for doing it. I think he, he came off like a good person, even though he was kind of criticizing a show that, in my opinion at least, deserves some criticism. What do you guys think? Talk to the show. <laughs> well, I think, I, I don't think, you know, whether his comments were taken out of context in the first place or not, I don't know, but... I don't think, you know, even if it was, you know, even if the show gets picked up and is popular here, it's not really a direct competitor with uh, Sherlock because it's an overseas show. And the people who watch Sherlock here are going to still watch it here. I mean, it's, I don't think the people who are into, you know, Moffat's Sherlock, they're going to be like, oh, fuck that. We got Lucy Liu now. Let's stop watching that old English shit and watch uh, this new one on CBS. I think it's, it's going to be directed towards two different people. And if this CBS show sticks around... Fine. I mean, I don't think it, it it doesn't affect anything with, you know, the Sherlock that I really love. Um, and I think, you know, Benedict was correct to point out that, like, you know, Stephen Moffat or Benedict Cumberbatch, they don't own Sherlock Holmes. I mean, this is a character that other people are going to do and are able to do. Uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. did Sherlock Holmes. And you know what? I still had my Benedict Cumberbatch version to watch. And it's not like they took it away because of it. Um, Robert Downey Jr.'s version didn't feel like a reaction to the BBC's version, though. It felt like I, mean, I, I don't know if it's a coincidence, uh, but also I don't know that it's not. I think you're right that Elementary is very clearly... CBS wanted to buy Sherlock and do an American version of it, and Sherlock said, no thanks. Um, so I think that there is a different element to it. But I think there's a lot of room for different Sherlock Holmes. I, uh, I'm a huge fan of Conan Doyle's original stories. Uh, I've read them all. I've read them all at least once, and I've read several of them multiple times. And what I love about the BBC Sherlock is it takes the original stories and it updates them and it does interesting things with them. Where if you've read the original story, you see, like, that's a cool way to take that and twist it. Or that's an interesting way to change the story around. Or that's an interesting adaptation of the character that I haven't seen before. 
So I think you can love that Sherlock as an adaptation of, of, of the original stories, and I can almost guarantee you that Elementary is not going to play out the same way. Elementary is going to be more of a procedural. It's going to do probably original Sherlock Holmes-based stories. And frankly, I mean, if we had to guess right now, I think we can all agree it's probably not going to be as good. But I, I, there's room enough for both, and I, it's not going to affect my love of the original Sherlock. I'm just disappointed because Sherlock, the BBC version, felt so it felt really fresh, and it had really interesting ways to update it and uh, make it relevant today, where elementary just feels like, check it out, we made John Watson a woman. Isn't that crazy? Like, It's like, come on, give me a break. Well, I think, I think they had to do something to, with so many interpretations of the characters out there right now. I think they needed to do something to kind of differentiate themselves. You know what? My, when it comes down to it for me, it's like, I'm not really that interested in the show. I, don't, I think that's how many of us feel. I don't really care about that much, but I don't think it's... I don't think it's ever going to be a thing where viewers that could have gone to Sherlock are going to go to elementary instead. I think it's going to be two very different audiences or yes. in a few rare cases, a couple people were going to watch both. Yeah. I mean, if, if more people find Sherlock, the BBC version from elementary, then God bless them. But I just wish that there was well, more, you know, you don't need to call this character, like, not that I'm saying you shouldn't have or that it shouldn't be Sherlock Holmes, but you don't need to call this character Sherlock to have it be, oh, this crazy detective. There are tons of shows out there like that. Exactly. <laughs> like House. Which is just uh, Sherlock Holmes. House. With, Look at everything zone. on the USA network. Psych and all this shit. Like, I mean, I don't, yeah. I actually, I don't have, like, you know, this isn't the first time America's kind of try to pluck ideas from England. Um, and you know what? I think America has just as much of a right to do a Sherlock show. I, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know how good or bad this show is going to be. I know I probably won't watch because I have zero fucking interest in Lucy Liu. Um, but I, I, I think you know they have a right to I, make a Sherlock I, show uh, because every, I mean everybody does. And and what's important is it's not like it's going to take viewers away. The the audience in America, I think, for Sherlock is very specific, and it's not. And I think it's a smart audience, too. So I think they're going to go to the quality, and they're not going to leave Sherlock. And when it comes to, you know, overseas, this isn't even an issue in England, where it probably matters even more how Sherlock does than it does here. So I don't see this being a real issue. It's kind of like my thoughts on Jersey Shore is I never watched Jersey Shore before. It's off the air. I'll never watch it now. I really, (laughs) you know, my day hasn't changed at all. If someone's like, Sam, you can't watch Jersey Shore anymore. It's off the air. Okay, I haven't watched it at all the last however many years it's been on. So I don't feel I'm not I'm not overwhelmed in joy, and I'm not angry that Sherlock is going to be on because I still have my Sherlock, and I just won't watch yeah. this one. It's very easy I, to avoid this anger. Now, when I do get angry is not when, when we're talking you know, about it on the podcast. <laughs> when, when do you get angry, Sam? I get angry when say NBC replaces Parks and Recreation with Whitney. Because then it affects something I care about. Now, if if NBC wanted to put Whitney on on Friday or any other day and leave Parks and Recreation alone in a time slot where it wouldn't get absolutely murdered, I'd be fine. And luckily, you know, Parks and Rec returned to Thursday and it's going to be back again. But when I only get angry when there's a new show that is of poor quality that kicks out a show that I would watch. If, if this Sherlock was meaning, you know, BBC America's like, fuck, we can't, we can't battle cbs with this no more sherlock then yeah i'd be fucking furious but the, the fact of the matter is Stephen moffat's like 
probably thinking, okay, I'm going to do a show that's 20 times better. And Benedict Cumberbatch is thinking, I'm going to be 20 times better than... Johnny uh, Lee Miller. What's his face? And Martin Freeman's going to be, I'm going to be a thousand times better than Lucy Liu because a jar of mayonnaise would be a thousand times better than Lucy Liu. So, you See, know, now it, there's it, an interesting take on the Sherlock angle. A jar of mayonnaise instead. Yeah, I think instead that of would be really more interesting than um, Lucy Liu. My thing is, I think you're right about the audience, and I think if this was on a different channel, I might feel slightly differently, though, A, you're never going to lose the Sherlock audience to an American version. That's not going to happen. That's like, I love the British office, and I, I eventually watched the American office, but not because I stopped watching the British office. I mean, it was for one thing, it was over, but the British office will always be supreme to me, and the American office never did much for me. And I feel like you're not going to lose any of that audience. But additionally, this is on CBS. So if you think of, like, CBS's largest share of the audience, CBS has the oldest average viewership of any of the major networks. CBS makes its bread and... Yeah, and it makes its bread and butter from doing these procedural shows. So I think what you're going to get is a very different Sherlock and a show that is targeting that audience. And none of those people, or very few of them, watch Sherlock. Those that do, if they want to watch both shows, go to town. You get more Sherlock Holmes. One's probably going to be better than the other, but... Probably. I mean, hey, a I don't want to shut all mystery <laughs> down before it starts. You know, maybe it'll be amazing. Chances of it being amazing are very negligible. Um, chances of it being better than the BBC Sherlock, almost zero, because that is an amazing show. But, you know, this might serve a different purpose for people, or it might serve an equivalent purpose, and if, if they want to watch three episodes of BBC Sherlock every year or so when they do it, and 22 episodes of the American one in the meantime, go to town. Um, any any last thoughts on on Sherlock versus Elementary? Well, as we're talking about uh, Sherlock, Jordan, I don't know if you've heard, but Moffat dropped hints about what the three stories. I haven't, and uh, as someone who is a, a fan of the originals, what are the stories? Well, what what Moffat did, he did this for season two. He didn't say exactly what it is, though. Sherlock, yeah, fans, as soon, soon as he dropped the season two hints, I knew which three stories he was doing. So this year's, the hint this year is Rat, Wedding, and Bow. Okay. Um, well, Bird? I mean, I'm not going to go ahead and, and yeah. Or I, bow, I, I, I have me. ideas Sorry. based on what you just said. I'm not going to go ahead and, and throw out story names just in case people a, either want to be not spoiled or in case people are reading the stories right now and don't want, you know. I just, I'll stay away from that. But it does, again, give me ideas about what's going to happen. And, um... So my concern, I thought season two of Sherlock was excellent. Even Hound of the Baskervilles, which was less popular and I think was the weak one of the bunch, I thought was a, a fairly good episode of TV. Um, they did three great stories and did three fairly good adaptations and, and two excellent ones, I would say. Um, my concern at the end of, of season two was, to, again, to not spoil the show for those of you who haven't watched it yet, and you should, my concern at the end of season two was they were entering into an era of Holmes stories that is less full of interesting adaptations. Um, and that's all I'll say because I don't want to spoil it. But if you ask me before Sherlock, all of Sherlock Holmes was less interesting adaptations. Well, so. Fair enough. Um, I think, and I think that you're not wrong, but of the, of the Sherlock Holmes stories, I think that they were, they were about to head into an era that I was a little bit concerned about, though I have ultimate faith in this show. I mean, and those three words, if, if my initial inclination right off the top of my head, if that's correct, I think we're in for a great season three. And even if I'm wrong, I bet what they do is going to be good. 
Yeah, I didn't start watching Sherlock because I was like, oh, Sherlock Holmes, sweet. I was like, I'm a fan of Stephen Moffat, so I'm going to check out what he's doing. Yeah. Well, I think I trust Stephen Moffat, so even if they're not, even if, you know, wherever down the line, if he does less popular or, you know, less beloved uh, Sherlock Holmes stories, I feel like he has the skills to really put his own twist on it, make it his own, and put out a really, you know, riveting the, the 90 minutes The stories he's done so far Definitely. were, A, I mean, they were all very, fairly good to very good home stories, but he's done so much different with each one and twisted them just enough. They've all been individual stories. That's one of the things I love about the show is they've all done yeah, their I mean, own twist on them, and they've all been good on their own merits, even if I hadn't liked the stories or hadn't read the stories. Yeah, and because he's only doing three at a time, he can choose the stories that he thinks he can do something interesting with. He's not just going, oh, well, this one's really popular. People will know, you know. And I think it's kind of it's kind of the English television advantage that we don't get so much here. It's kind of a, uh, let's do a quality over quantity here. Because I think if you had, you know, a 12-episode, or if it was American, like a 22-episode, one-hour series, you'd be like, well, fuck, we're... We're out. Like, we're out of stuff to do pretty quickly. So I think, you know, he, since it's three episodes and each episode is like a, you know, basically a movie length, he's able to draw the most out of each thing he does, each story he tells. And it, it doesn't need to necessarily be rushed. Um, which I think is kind of a, a cool thing about British television in general. I agree. I think, I think at this point we're going to go ahead and shift topics uh, and move over to the next game segment of the show. Uh, and Alex, we're going to hand it off to you to do a little bit of the Leonard Malton game. All right. Let's only do a couple rounds here since we're probably running tight on time already, even though we've only discussed, what, I guess three stories. Three things, <laughs> three things yeah. yeah. Let's see here. Let me pull this up. All right. So let's just make this qu- quick and easy. First category will be in theaters now. So, again, he doesn't give stars, but here we go. Uh, Bottle openings. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh, jeez. The director has fashioned a sleek, satisfying movie that never wastes a moment and doesn't wear out its welcome. And... Jeez. Uh, Apparently, the director says that a lot of these stunts were performed on camera and not CGI... Fresh and clever, but not pretentious, as this is all in the spirit of fun. And the last of it is, I don't think you'll find any subtext or layers of meaning in this movie, but I do think you'll have a great time watching the picture as I did, and it has four names. Oh, I I could do this one. So let's start with Jordan. Alright, I am going to go with, uh, Sam seems pretty confident, I have... Some idea. I'm going to go ahead and say two names. Chris? I'm going to say one name. 
Sam. Zero names. Jordan, can you go negative? I'm going to go ahead and say, Sam, name that movie. All right. Here we go. Premium Rush. That's what I was going to guess. Fuck yeah. And well, you could have totally yeah, gone I'm... negative, Jordan. Who's the star of that movie? Levitt. Tell me. Oh, of course. Oh, I Jordan lost. He did. You get a point. Jordan, <laughs> loser. That's the fun of this game. It's Jordan Ride like loser. hell. All right, and our final category for this uh, this edition of the Leonard Maltin game will be Sight and Sound, which will be one of the top 50 movies on the Sight and Sound poll. Is this the new Sight and Sound poll? Yep, Is this 2012. Okay, cool. 2012 Sight and Sound poll. So this movie got two stars. Out of how Sounds like Leonard Maltin, not a fan. Uh, four. Leonard Malton gives either a bomb or four stars to movies. That's his range. So, to some, this movie was brilliant. To Leonard Malton and his gang, it was a gory, cold-blooded story of a sick man's lurid descent into violence, and it was ugly and unredeeming. Searing performances and the score are among the film's few virtues. And there are eight names in it. Wait, so Leonard Maltin called the movie brilliant, but also gave it two stars? To some, uh, the movie I really, was brilliant. I, I, I know him. that I probably make this joke every single time, but not a fan of Leonard Maltin as a film critic. Just putting that out there. Yeah, I've found that out too, reading through some of his anyway, um, uh, things. I disagree with him. Who are we starting out with? Chris. Ooh, I'm going to need four names. All right, to Sam. Three names. Two names. Jordan. Chris. Jordan, name that movie. All right, ready? Your two names are, these are your two names that I have right here. Oh, boy. Martin Scorsese and Joe Spinell. Martin Scorsese being an actor in the movie. That's what it says. That's yeah, that the kind of narrows it down. It does, name. but I actually think I might know what the movie is, and I can't think of the name of it right now. Which, if I am, if I, if it is the movie that I'm oh, thinking no. of, I'll be very upset. Um, oh, no. But I'm gonna go ahead. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably the one I'm thinking of, and I'm gonna be really upset. But I'm gonna say Mean Streets. Wrong. Is it Taxi Driver? Damn it! Taxi Driver. Fuck That's yeah! Like, I, I was I was thinking taxi driver. And I was like, no, I'm not sure. Like, uh, uh. wow, Leonard Malton gave Taxi Driver two stars. Can you believe and that? Jordan gives Taxi Driver Jesus Taxi Driver huh. Taxi Driver seven out of five stars. That makes up for it. I think the math evens out. I like Leonard Malton's. Like some people might think this is brilliant, but it's too gory. Two stars. <laughs> so. Ugh. Leonard Malton's not a fan so of the So what I've door. learned from playing this game is when I decide that I think I'm right and say it, I'm wrong. When I think, oh, I think I'm right, but I'm wrong, I'm going to say something else, then I'm still wrong. Basically, whatever rationale I use to approach this game, I get the wrong answer. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> How long do you think it's going to take for Jordan to realize yeah, this is a whole game? I would, I, would love, I would love the idea <laughs> that Alex comes up with things every single time that whether right or wrong, whatever I say is the incorrect answer. Um, 
Me, Alex, and Sam have like rehearsed this all before we do the podcast. Yeah, I have, we have a script. <laughs> did, no, did no one else get those? <laughs> yeah. um, no, unfortunately, it's just uh, it's just my own personal failings. Um, and basically, those of you who listen to the podcast now know that I am unfit to talk about pop culture. So stop reading whatever I write on the site, I guess. Well, so is uh, Leonard Maltin. Well, that's true. So. Let's. Uh, I guess yeah. yeah. You can group my criticism in at the same level as Leonard Maltin's. I think that's a good, good place to be. <laughs> um, well, at this point in the show, we're going to go ahead and cut out. We are going to do a final game. Those of you who are looking forward to that game can go ahead and tune in next week, where I promise you we will play it. But for now, we've done about uh, the length we want to do for the show. So we're going to wrap it up here. Before we sign off, I want to say thank you guys for listening. If you have any ideas for the podcast, any segments you want us to do, any nominees for the various games we play, any nominees for who won the week and you want to let us know, email us at reviewtobenamed at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at reviewtobenamed or check out the website, comment on the website at reviewtobenamed.com. So check us out, read what we're writing, talk to us, get involved. Um, Otherwise, keep listening. We'll be back next week. This time we won't be taking a week off, ideally. So go ahead out. And at the end of this podcast, take a minute to be in silence for the late, great yeah. Tony Scott. One of the things we were going to talk Absolutely. about on the show, we ended up Absolutely. going longer on other things than we had hoped. But Tony Scott, great director. We're sorry to have lost him. So let's. Instead of the usual award for Rachel uh, Tardif Memorial for Best Performance in the Week, I think we should just honor Tony Scott and say we, we he will be missed. I, I agree. Missed. I think we're going to take our first break from. The Rachel Tosh Memorial Award for Best Performance in the Week. There are plenty of good nominees this week. I would say someone won the week. More importantly, though, we all lost this week. So, moment for Tony Scott. It's a, it's a great loss for cinema. With that down note, with that moment of silence from us, um, come back next week. We're going to be talking about a lot of TV, and we're going to be playing the game that we ended up cutting out of this week. So, we're having a lot of fun talking about good television, and playing a good game next week. For now, have a good week. See you guys later.